All right, Acts chapter 4 tonight, please. Acts chapter 4, as we continue seeing a church in action. Peter and John have been arrested for preaching the resurrection through Jesus while at the temple. They end up spending a night in jail, but many who heard the preaching were converted. Maybe as many as 5,000 on that one occasion. That's how it reads to me. Some see it as 2,000 being added to the 3,000. On the next day, remember, they were brought before the council. That was the same group that sought to betray Jesus. They plotted his betrayal and arrest, put him before Pilate, prompted the crowd to cry out for Barabbas, crucify Jesus, let his blood be upon us and our children. It's the same group of people that these men are being brought before Peter and John to answer. And so they asked Peter and John, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Speaking of the miracle upon the crippled beggar who is now walking and leaping and praising God. Peter answers with the name of Jesus. And he lets them know that Christ has become the head of the corner and there's no salvation in any other. And then last week in verse 13, the council saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that they were not qualified men according to their standards. They had not been educated in their religious schools. They were not holding a public office of any sort. They were unrefined, but still they marveled at the boldness, the answer that these Galilean fishermen gave to this group of wealthy, powerful, influential men in Jerusalem. Best of all, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. What a great testimony to have. Man, maybe put that on my tombstone if it's true. Amen. He was with Jesus. Now he is with Jesus. We got to work this out. Amen. This is going to get complicated. You see, they were true Christians. What does Christian mean? Christ-like. Because of that, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. A church in action will have the testimony that they've been with Jesus. So we finished last week by asking, are you spending quality time with the Lord? Are you getting alone with the Lord? Are you in His Word? Can others conclude that you have been with Jesus? Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? That will give you the boldness and the authority and the power to speak to others. I'll remind you of Proverbs 28.1. It says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now, if you miss, if you miss our past messages, please go back and listen. I put a lot of effort to get those out there on our podcast and on our website, and I do it so that you can be caught up. And we cover a lot more than I just recap. So tonight in Acts chapter 4, let's read verses 13 through 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them and that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? 
For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how, that, how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. So as we covered last week, the council, they're marveling at these two fishermen that are speaking boldly about doctrine. They're using scripture. And then as we pick this account back up in verse 14, they see Peter and John and then they see the man that's healed. This healed man is before them and they could say nothing against it. They ask Peter and John, by what power? They said Jesus. The proof is standing right there. What else could the council say? Well, in verse 15, they commanded them to go aside out of the council so that they could confer among themselves how best to proceed in handling these men. Verse 16, they say, what shall we do to these men? They're in a huddle, right? <laughs> what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So we see here at the end of verse 14, they're saying they could say nothing. The Bible says they could say nothing against it. And at the end of verse 16, it says they cannot deny it. This is what we want to happen as a church in action. We, we want God to so powerfully work among us and through us that none can deny that a notable miracle is taking place down there at Liberty Baptist. They may not want to recognize Christ. They may not want to give God the glory. But wouldn't it be great if people could know something's going on there? We cannot deny it. What took place in Jerusalem could not be denied. I love the picture of the man walking and leaping and praising God. Right? Because I can see the, the mean Baptist looking at him. There goes Ken again. But this is a man who is 40 years old or whatever, never walked a day in his life. Everybody knows him because he's at the beautiful gate daily. That's the gate people wanted to come and see. All the tourists. They want to come and see all that Corinthian brass that's on that gate beautiful as the sun comes up from the east and shines upon it. And here's this man that's lying there. You can't miss him. Everybody's talking about it. He, he has been changed. And what we see in this account is that a changed life brings credibility. Whoop. A transformed life brings validity. We're to be witnesses both in word and deed. Both in word and action. We can't just be living witnesses, but we must open our mouths and testify and share the gospel. 
But when it comes to those who we associate with very often, we also just can't speak the truth. We must live the truth. Jesus was recognized as a prophet, mighty in deed and word. It says before God and all the people. That was said by the two walking back to Emmaus from Jerusalem in Luke 24. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 11, Such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. What Paul's saying, the same guy that's writing this, I'm going to be the same guy when I show up. I'm not going to say one thing and then live another. Oh boy, we're about to get uncomfortable up in here. Colossians 3.17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Our life needs to match our message. Our message needs to match our life. We need to be mighty in word and deed. This brings credibility. This brings validity. You can tell people that Christ has the power to transform a life all you want, but until your life has been transformed, there's no credibility in that message. Hey, Christ can turn your life around. Beep, 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 beep. What? No, no, no. I mean, it's not really working in my life, but it's going to work in yours. If your life hasn't been transformed, there's no undeniable proof. People will always have something to say against your message. I remember when you were 12 and you did this. Come on now. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. I remember what you said. I remember what you did once. I remember. The greatest defense and proof of Christianity is the true Christian. Words won't amount to much if we don't prove our faith by our Christian character which is lived out in our daily lives. And so what we want is we want people who are being transformed by the power of Christ and His gospel and then them going out into the world confusing and confounding those that look at them and go, what in the world happened to them? And they say, man, I went down to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. I met a man named Jesus. And then God gets all the glory. What happened to Bill? He stopped going to those small groups. <laughs> you had to be here about four years ago to get that. But What happened to Bill? Well, he says he's been attending church down there, somewhere over there behind Shopco. I don't know, but I know this. His life has totally changed. I don't know if I agree with all that God stuff, But it's undeniable that something has taken place. I was listening to a pastor once who mentioned how a young man came to his church. He got born again. He got discipled. And his life began to change. And as he was going to work, his boss began to recognize this man is different. And so this young young man's boss comes to church and he comes up to the pastor and he says, he introduces himself and he says, I just wanted to come to the place that made such a difference in this man's life. I just wanted to see what is so different that is causing a change in his life. So are you a living testimony? Do you demonstrate the life-changing power that Christ has? 
And then are you sharing that it is Christ who wrought the change in you? Well, you know what I did was I started doing 12 steps and I did this and I did... No, no, no. Christ works in you. Amen. Amen. And when that happens, it stops the mouths of the gainsayers. That's the deniers. Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as hath been taught. There's a word and there's a deed. I've been taught it, I'm living it. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. With Peter and John, their doctrine was verified by the healed man. If their doctrine was false, then the man could not have been healed by Christ. But since he was healed by the power of Christ, then their doctrine must be true. This was the sort of thing which gave the council such concern with Jesus. They looked at Jesus and they could not deny that He was performing miracles. John eleven forty seven. Then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. What are we supposed to do about this guy? We can't deny it. They say here in Acts 4, it, it, it is undeniable. And listen, it would do them no good to deny it. There's the proof. The crippled man who, the man who was once crippled is now walking and leaping and praising God. It would be idiotic for them to try to say, no, that didn't happen. So they can't deny it. All of Jerusalem is talking about this miracle that has been manifested. And I want to ask you this, why would they want to deny it? So surely upon hearing the testimony, the word preached, and seeing the man putting it together, they're going to ask Peter and John, man, tell us more about Jesus. We, we want to hear more. No. Look at verses 17 and 18. But that is spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. This is almost unbelievable. Are you getting the scene in your mind? Here's a man that everybody knows. He's walking, leaping, praising God. He's healed. They've spent a night in jail. The whole city's a buzz. I mean, they're talking about what's been manifested. They can see that this man's been healed. There is a power at work. And they look at this and they say, I don't want you talking about him. Don't talk about Jesus. It's hard to understand. Here are, here's these, this council that have witnessed the, the miracles of Christ for three and a half years. They couldn't deny it. They've now heard Christ is alive. Well, that's a problem if you're a Sadducee. They are in denial. They've heard and maybe seen what took place in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost came upon them and they were speaking with great power. And they see this crippled man healed. And the reason that they give is the power of Christ, Peter and John, and yet the council still doesn't want to believe. I don't know about you, but it really breaks my heart when I see people who go on refusing counsel that keep rejecting the evidence that is before them. We can't deny it. We can't say anything against it. We know that it's happened. But don't talk to me about it. 
I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can look at somebody and say, I've been in your shoes. I'm telling you the best way to get through this. I don't want to hear it. I don't understand that mentality. Man, I'm having marriage problems. Let me go to the person that just got married. That makes no sense. I got this kid driving me insane. Let me go to somebody who's another new mother. That makes no sense. What are you saying, preacher? Go to those that know. Well, anyway, I, I could park it right there. The, the problem is this council makes all their money off a corrupted form of religion in God's name. And so what they're doing is they are valuing their wealth and their status and their doctrine uh, over the salvation of their own souls. No, we got it figured out. No thanks. Just shut up talking about it. They can't find anything to say against this They can't even deny it, but they continue to oppose Christ and deny Him in their own consciousness. Conscience. In their own conscience. Help me out, Karen. You've been to school. John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. Don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear about Christ. I know I can't deny it, but I don't want to hear the message. Here we have the Word of God that says very plainly in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. Don't tell me that. I know what the catechisms say. Now think about this. Here's a man who's never walked a day in his life He's healed, but in the beginning of verse 17, they don't want this spreading any further. Sounds kind of like the faith healers of our day. Oh, yeah, man, I went and healed a man. Yeah, why aren't you at the hospital, brother? I mean, this, this guy's walking because of the power of Christ. I don't want anything to do with it. Don't talk to me in that name. They don't want this doctrine spreading. Why not? It's not harming anybody. It's helping. Did you know that everywhere that true Christianity has spread, it has helped society? That is a fact. It was Christian principles which gave this country her freedoms. We had a great time at men's prayer yesterday. Brother Dawson talked about this. It is those principles that gave us our freedom, yet this same Christianity is being vehemently rejected today by many. So as of now, the council settles with, you know what, let's just threaten them. Not a bad idea. They just had Jesus put to death, so to speak. Maybe that would be enough for them to realize, well, maybe we're next. They don't want to be punishing at this point because all Jerusalem's talking about it. A miracle has definitely happened. They want to hang on to their way of life. And so they're threatening, don't don't speak henceforth to any man in this name. After coming to this agreement, they call Peter and John back before them. In verse 18, they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Isn't it interesting how they single out the name of Jesus? Peter's message, he had also preached that God raised him from the dead. 
and yet they say, don't preach in Jesus' name. They don't mention God. You know, it's still the name of Jesus which gives rulers pause. You know, in the military, they don't want their chaplains praying in Christ's name outside of the pulpit. Even our Congress discourages from those who open in prayer doing so in the name of Christ. Why do they do that? Because it's not inclusive enough. It's divisive. Yeah, read your Bible. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. The first Continental Congress was convened on September 5th, 1774 in Philadelphia. And on that first day, a request was made, we need to open this up in prayer tomorrow. On September the 6th, 1774, the Reverend Jacob Duchesne opened Congress with an extemporaneous prayer. And the whole prayer is worth you read. I decided to trim it out because time's sake. This is how he closed his prayer. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. Amen. You know, a woman over in Pennsylvania three years ago opened their house session, mentioned the name of Christ 13 times, and you would have thought she murdered everybody's dog. Now, compare, compare September the 5th, 1774, with the 117th Congress, which convened on January the 3rd, 2021, when a Missouri Democrat representative, Emmanuel Cleaver, a Methodist preacher, closed his opening prayer with the following. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, And God, known by many names, by many different faiths, amen and a woman. That's how far our nation has departed from God. A so-called Christian minister and state representative actually invoked the Hindu god Brahma, that is their god of creation, in an attempt to synchronize religion into one, in order to say, you know what we recognize in America today is that all roads are leading to God. And because he had gone woke, amen and a woman, and everybody's hee 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 hee. That's just one example of many I could give. We have seen them in this chapter being persecuted. This is just the beginning. Okay, this is mild. I don't even know if we should call this persecution except that they did spend a night in jail. But being threatened to me is not really, you know. But what we see and have seen so far is persecution. It usually comes as a result of being right with God. You might remember that early on in this chapter. Persecution usually comes from the religious crowd. We talked about that. Persecution usually does more good than harm. We saw that in all the people being saved. And now we see how persecution brings frustration to the persecutor more than to the persecuted. I love this. What are we going to do with these men? The council doesn't know what to say. They can't deny it. They don't know what to do about these Christians, so they threaten them. That's what they begin with. 
We'll say more about that in another message, uh, maybe next week, I don't know, later in this chapter. But let's not forget that Satan's behind these threats. Hey, hear me tonight. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. Satan opposes Christ. The devil opposes Christ's followers and those who will faithfully preach the gospel. Peter has just preached Christ as the only way of salvation. And the devil hates it. I'm excited. The devil hates what's going on here. Whoop! Listen, the devil doesn't care how loud, how long, how much you preach if you leave Christ out. A message without Christ does nothing to save sinners. But you preach Christ out there and you will be opposed. We're safe in here. I mean, I guess somebody might be opposing me tonight. I don't know. But you go preach Christ in your workplace. You go and preach it to your Catholic family members, your lost family members, your atheist family members, whatever religion you want to pick. And you see what happens. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. If we give up when the going gets tough, then we'll never be the Christian that God wants us to be. Listen, we have to cultivate a close relationship with Christ that will endure through the threatenings and through the persecutions. We have to draw near to Him in order to withstand and to stand, and having done all, to stand. We, we, we have to know that God is going to use spiritual battles to strengthen our faith in Him. This is only a threat because this is about to get way worse. So God uses these past battles in order to build our faith for something that's coming along. And so you don't want to fail in the day of battle. Listen, if, if, if the footmen weary you, how does that verse go? How are you going to contend with the horses? And so God brings these battles. Listen, God used a lion attack and a bear attack with David watching the sheep in order to prepare him for the day that he would stand before an uncircumcised Philistine. He went over and took his head off. 1 Samuel 17, 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. He wrote in 1 Peter 1, 7, The trial of our faith is precious. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 and 3, And we sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. What's he saying? You ought to know by now we're appointed unto afflictions. And of course, you know 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So don't think that this kind of treatment is strange. We've had it so good in America. Boy, we think we're so persecuted. Oh man, it's waxing worse and worse. The love of many is waxing cold. We got kids disobedient to their parents. They were tying them into animal skins and throwing them into a, an arena and letting the animals devour them. And we think we have it bad. 
We are appointed unto the trying of our faith if we will live godly in this present evil world. So listen to me tonight. Don't let these things move you away from God. Listen to these words of Paul in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. And now behold, I go bound, into the spirit, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. So he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm always afflicted. I've got these bonds. But listen to what he says. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Why? So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Do you want to be a soldier in Christ? Do you want to learn to endure hardness as a good soldier in Christ? Do you want to finish your course? Then God's going to send battles your way. And He's going to test your faith. And how many we see drop out when the slightest hint? That's what's said in the parable of the sower, is it not? Some of the seed fell in amongst the rocks. We'll just use that one because I probably won't get it straight. And it sprung up, but it didn't have a whole lot of depth to it. And as soon as tribulation came, they were done. Actually, I think it says they were offended at the word. They're tripped up at it. They don't understand. I thought this was supposed to be a great life. Well, let's see how a church in action responds to the threats. Verses 19 to 20. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The council... It's, it's, it's interesting to get the picture in your mind that the, the, after, after Peter and John answer, after they look at the crippled man, they have to, you know, push them aside and say, hey, we just need to confer for a minute to see what we're going to do. But Peter and John don't have to, you know, can we just have a minute to confer? We, we just need to make sure we're all on the same page here and that we, we want to give you the same answer. No, they don't do any of that. They don't confer with one another privately. They give an immediate and decisive answer. They begin by saying, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye. Now, what's Peter saying here? The, the council was the religious rulers in Israel. They boasted in their physical relation to Abraham and they swore an allegiance to Moses. And Peter and John are saying, you should already be able to judge how we're going to answer. You're the ones think you got it all figured out. Who do you think we ought to be obeying, God or man? Knowing the power of the council, Peter and John boldly say, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, you know what they tell the council? Threaten us all you want, we're going to keep preaching. Amen. Whoop! How does that look like in 2022? You go ahead and tell us we got to shut down during a pandemic. We're going to keep preaching. Amen. Somebody take a lap right there. Amen. Get this now, the early church feared God more than man. Hey, they're not taking their orders from men. We get our marching orders from God alone. We get it from His Word. We don't have to have some ecclesiastical authority over us saying, this is the Bible you need to use, this is the curriculum you need to use, this is what you ought to be teaching your people, this is how you ought to do your missions. No, no, no. We are a local, independent, Baptist church. 
We don't have to have authorities from anybody else. And listen, we don't get our authority from the government. And we will possess this kind of power, this kind of boldness, when we're walking with God and we're full of the Holy Spirit. When somebody says, you can't, excuse me, our kingdoms do not mesh. I have a king of kings that's telling me what to do. Now listen, I'm going to obey your rules to the best of my ability. But just the moment your rules go against these rules, I'm following these rules. The threats of mankind are powerless over a spirit-filled believer. Those who are walking with God more than man. Those who are walking with God more than they're walking with men. Those who are pleasing God more than they're pleasing men. Understand that whatever man can do to me, it's only temporary. Somebody you say, you can't threaten me with heaven. Boy, you're talking like you're going there. Yup. Listen, those things are only temporary, but the things that we do for God, those are eternal. Lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 27 and 28, What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Jesus said, go out there and preach, man. You give them the word. And then he says this, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, our loyalty is to God first. He is our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Colossians 1.18 says that He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might receive the preeminence. Notice that Peter and John say, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They had a personal experience with Jesus. They knew Him intimately. Boy, I can't help but get the chills when I get over to 1 John. John says the word of life which we have seen and heard and have handled. They had a personal walk. They saw Christ. They heard Christ. They had first-hand experience that Christ was real. And as a result, they were willing to put their lives on the line for the testimony of Christ. Hey, once you know Christ, you can't help but speak about Him. You hear me, Christian? Once you know Him and the power of His resurrection, you will be compelled to speak of Him. Once you have a personal testimony that you've been born again and what He has done in your life, you will tell others. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Psalm 40, verses 9 and 10, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips. 
O Lord, Thou knowest, I have not hid Thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared Thy faithfulness and Thy salvation. I have not concealed Thy loving kindness and Thy truth from the great congregation. Psalm 71, verses 15 through 18. My mouth shall show forth Thy righteousness and Thy salvation all the day. Why? For I know not the numbers thereof. I might be called home tomorrow. And so I'd better not put off what the Holy Spirit's telling me to go say to that person. He says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. Oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Psalm 119.46 I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. 2 Timothy 1.12 Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul said, for the love of Christ constraineth me. He said, I've been apprehended by Him. He said, that necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And once Christ begins to dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, and once you become apprehended by Christ and you begin to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, then you will speak the things that you have seen and heard. This is what Christians do. Sheep make sheep. Whoop! Listen, we don't... We can't help ourselves. Jeremiah got down and out. He said, man, I'm not going to talk about the Lord anymore. Oh, but down there in that pit, he said, His Word, it was in my heart burning. There was a fire shut up in my bones. He said, I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, I had to speak it. I had to get it out. I wanted to quit. I got tired of the persecution. I got tired of being backstabbed. I got tired of being railroaded. I got tired of investing in people, and all they do is turn around and hate you back. And he said, I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And then he said, I can't help it. It's, it's in my bones. i got to get it out, man. It's like a vent that's got to release. It's like a tea kettle that's crying out. And you can't help yourself but to preach the love of God. You say, what do you do? You go right back out there and you do it again. And you bring in the next couple and you work with them. You work with the next marriage and you work with the next child. And you, and you just keep working and you keep going at it. You say, but man, I'm going to be stabbed again. Yep. They put our Lord to death. I know He willingly laid down His life, but you understand what I'm saying. We have to get it out. Listen, Christians who have been apprehended, they cannot sit idly by. Those out there, and you're starting to feel, listen, you're thinking, man, I, I, yeah. Get out of the way, preacher, let me preach. Whoop. 
You can't help it. You can't just sit there on your hands. You can't just be apathetic. Because you know what Christ has done for you and you realize, man, He changed my life. He saved my sins. He took me out of a devil's hell. He gave me a path to heaven. If you could care less, if you can sit idly by, if you can be apathetic, then you've stopped spending enough time with Him. You're no longer seeing Him. You're no longer hearing Him. Good night. I love that song. Um, Hear the heart of heaven beating. Jesus saves. Oh, to grace. What a debtor. The redeemed shall sing of thee forever. I can't give up. His grace has been showered upon me. I can't throw in the towel. My sins have been forgiven. I can't look at him and say, you've been unfair. He took this this old boy that has nothing to offer. He says, I love you. I want to save you. I want to walk with you. God, I don't have any talents. I don't even have a stamp collection. I have nothing. Air Force was smart. They didn't trust me with a wrench. I have nothing. But I can remember as a young teenager telling the Lord, all I've got is a voice, and if you'll use it, it's yours. I don't have anything to give to the Lord. Yes, you do. You have your life. Listen, if you're under attack... Don't lose heart. You're partakers with Christ. (sighs) Glory in His sufferings. Keep going. Stay in the fight. Don't give up. This life is so fast. I jokingly but seriously leaned over to Madison during patch and said, before you know it, that's going to be your kid up there. Because I was looking at those kids going, none of our kids are in there anymore. How did that happen? Now I got these knucklehead teenagers, amen. It's gone. Where's Sydney? I don't even see her anymore. She's gone. Down in Puerto Rico. Your life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then it vanisheth away. That psalm was saying, teach me to number my days because I need to understand that I don't have a whole lot of time in this life and I've got to just give the word of God. Anyway, I want to start rambling. For we cannot help but speak that which we have seen and heard. Let's pray.